Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Bucketless Gamers podcast. My name is Jay and I'm once again joined by Eddie. Hello. And today we are discussing three rare classics. Not rare as in hard to find, but rare as in published by rare. So we will be looking at Donkey Kong Country, which is from 1994 and number 78 on the Retro Gamers 100 Games to Play Before You Die list. Banjo-Kazooie, which is aptly at number 64 and is was released in 1998. And Eye, which is right up there at number 10 and came out in 1997. So we'll do them in list order. Yeah. yeah, we'll do it in list order. We'll kick off with Donkey Kong Country, which was for the uh, the old snares. Did you have it back in the day? I did, yeah. Um, and it, it was it was just your standard side-scrolling adventure game back then. I think they've done hundreds of them since, but the sprite work on it is what stuck with me because it wasn't your pixelated, um, mulchy attempt at pixel art they were sort of like baked in photo realistic sprites that they'd sort of frame animated so it, it was quite good for the time particularly for 1994 i mean as we keep saying every damn episode the graphics are of their time but it still it has a specific style that i don't think many games have evoked since really i mean you get realistic games now but back then and from then on they all sort of did sort of stylized graphics whereas this was a real attempt at photorealism yeah i don't think it's aged badly like it is of its time but it's that style still looks good now like, if they released a, D- a Donkey Kong Country that looked the same as the original one now, I wouldn't be too upset about it. I don't think it'd look too bad. They still do release Donkey Kong Country games that are the same as Donkey Kong Country 1, but they've just crisped them up. So And, and they've gone away from that sort of, like, sprite work, haven't they, into just being your standard Mario, uh, Sonic-like sprites, rather than these photographic, like, pixel-perfect models that, that like you say sort of look stuck on the top but then don't at the same time it's really hard to to describe without showing a picture of it yeah uh, to be honest i had that in my head um the nearest thing i can compare it to which if you'd go with me on this one is a bit like south park mm. but someone's taken photographs of donkey kong and they they've sort of pinned his limbs together with like split pins and they've animated him frame by frame and then they've done stop motion capture on it like they would do with like plasticine animation but yeah the nearest thing i can compare it to would be like a full photorealistic version of south park where your character sort of floats off in front of the background which is pre-rendered and you get sort of like slight interactable objects because there's a lot of minecart riding if i remember rightly from donkey kong country yeah more so in the second i think but there is quite a bit in the first and then also there's obviously the the bouncing on enemies and and you can ride certain animals which we'll get to and smash through walls and but yeah it's like the the bananas in it for example don't look like cartoony bananas do they? they look like real bananas just floating in the air that you can collect and i like how it looks i mean i remember it blowing me away when i was younger because i didn't have an a snes so but one of my friends who i used to go to all the time did and and he had donkey kong country and I still remember the first time I went around and played that because up until that point when I used to go around, the only two-player game that he had was Goof Troop, which, don't get me wrong, Goof Troop's a brilliant two-player game. It works really well, but it's quite puzzly. It's not just action. You have to do a lot of 
pop pushing onto switches and one person has to shoot like a certain switch at a certain time and there's all that there's a lot of thinking goes into it whereas donkey kong is just literally an action platformer isn't it run along jump on enemies collect as much as you can get to the end of the level and when he got it yeah it was a revelation that there was this new two-player game that he got that looked amazing and it was really fun to play and and yeah we spent hours on it and and every time i went around i was like oh we getting back on Donkey Kong and we'd play that and then the second and the third came out and it was the same again although slightly worse in the case of the third one but again I'm sure we'll talk about the sequels in due course yeah it's just it looks nice and it plays well it's the controls are fluid I mean Donkey Kong is one of the few games where I don't hate the underwater levels and that's like a big thing to say because underwater levels are the bane of my life I hate nearly every underwater level I've ever played apart from games that are purely set underwater then then I'm I'm okay with it, but well, there aren't many of them. And yeah, the the levels where you're underwater control so crisply that you can manoeuvre out the way. It's like usually people, well, characters in games are at a disadvantage underwater because it's not the natural environment. And that should be the same case for Donkey Kong. But he's got such control, like when you're swimming around under the water. And then if you get the swordfish that you can ride on the back of, even more so control... And it just, yeah, and the music for, I mean, the music for the whole game is brilliant, but the underwater level music is just so tranquil and relaxing and you could spend ages in those levels just looking at it and enjoying the music because it does look visually really appealing. And then the music is just perfect as well. I mean, it is, I wouldn't ever class it as one of my all-time favourite games, but the more I talk about it, the more I realise how much I do really like it. And yeah, it's, it's had its failings as a franchise since then. But that first game is like, yeah, I mean, I've gone back to it recently, obviously, because I knew it was on the list. It's not as good as when it was back in the day. Like, I don't know if that's me that's changed and I've just seen better examples now. But it, I wouldn't say it was a slog to play, but it's it's quite a long game for what it is as well. You get you your value for money with it but a lot of it is a bit repetitive and and they address that in the sequels like you said they put the minecart levels in a, a bit more frequently and there's levels where they change the mechanic a bit in the sequels so i think there's one where there's like red lights and green lights isn't there and, and you can only move when it's a green light and or you're risking death and then certain levels where it's pitch black and i think the parrot sort of lights the way and you have to make sure you're in his sort of spotlight otherwise you haven't got a clue whether you're landing on platforms and they did a lot with it but yeah the first one is as usually the case the most basic one but it's still a great game yeah and i and i keep coming back to it as we're doing this list i know we've ragged on controls for a lot of games and a lot of uh, consoles in particular however every time and it's probably my rose tinted glasses and stuff like that but i think the snes the controls for the majority of the games on that console were so smooth. If you look at... Because bear in mind, it had sort of really basic diagonal movement in a way, because the D-pad was sort of semi-diagonal motion. Mm. But you look at stuff like A Link to the Past, which we're going to discuss later in the list. But again, super smooth controls. There's no lag. There's no button input. There's no. It doesn't feel sticky or floaty. This, again, the jumping mechanics in it, because there is a lot of damn jumping in this game. And when you're trying to, as you're traversing the rails on the back of a minecart and 
you notice that you're coming to the end of a track and you've got to do like a precision platform jump from the minecart onto the next bit of platform that's uh, not just going to chuck you straight into bottomless pits. There's no input lag. There's no, oh, am I going to make this? Am I going to make this? You know that if you've pressed it at the right time, you are going to get that natural progression of a jump arc and you're going to land smoothly. So, I mean, proper credit to Nintendo and Rare for managing to maximise the smoothness of their control scheme and the smoothness of the SNES processing power because most of the games on it are utterly stunning and they all control super well. Yeah, they didn't keep they didn't limit the controls on Donkey Kong either, did they? There's a lot going on. It's not just you running, you jump in. You've got I think you've got a basic attack, you've got like a slap. I think you can like slap the ground and, and knock enemies out of the way. And then obviously Diddy controls different again because it's a it's a two two one player two player game is probably the best way I can describe it. If you've got two people, you can play as two player. But if you've got one person, you can simultaneously play as whichever monkey you want to choose, depending on the situation. Some are better than others. So DK is more powerful. He can take out certain enemies that Diddy can't, I think, by stomping on them. Whereas Diddy's got a bit of a different throw arc when he's got barrels and a different a longer jump, I think. Yeah. And, and just is generally a little bit quicker. So you've got that variation of controls but then you've also got all the animal characters that control differently again and have different moves so like the rhino can gore people the ostrich is quick and can float from what i remember so like flutter jump yeah the swordfish again is is similar to the rhino but underwater i think there's probably a couple that i'm missing as well as an elephant i think i don't know if that was in the first one or the second one might have replaced the rhino i think that might be the second yeah um but yeah, there's all these different mechanics. And then you've got to add to that vine climbing. So there's a vine climbing control where you can traverse from vine to vine or jump from one to the other. Then there's the barrels, which blast you out and you have to control the barrels and where you're aiming yourself. So they've not just gone, we'll really, really hone in on running and jumping and make it as good as we can. They've done this whole gambit of different control schemes and made them all work really well. Like, it's one of those games where you never feel like you've had a particularly unfair death. If you've died, it's probably because you've done something wrong rather than the game just being a bit laggy or having rough enemy placement. I think there are a couple of instances of that, especially when you're shooting from the barrels, where it'll just chuck a bee in the way as you're firing yourself from one barrel to the other. But yeah, there's not too many occurrences of that. And it it is it gets quite challenging in certain levels, but it's never stupidly hard i would say no like you say it's a very fair game i mean there are difficulty spikes within it but that again that is probably me remembering my 10 year old brain at the time (laughs) trying to get used to the fact that it's not just a mario copy with donkey kong assets placed over the top of it so it sort of incorporates i mean sort of like um, yoshi style uh, mechanics in there so the Yoshi's Island games where you had to aim the egg before you threw it you had sort of that would you could throw barrels in a specific arc or you could throw it up higher or further and then the barrels that you were sat in again you aimed your trajectory you tried mm. to aim your trajectory anyway so yeah they sort of like took a load of amalgams out of their existing franchises and just went ah sod it there you go there's a Donkey Kong game 
but it worked. Yeah, it worked really well. And the the levels themselves are quite varied enough that it doesn't feel like you just... I know I said earlier on there are bits where it's a bit repetitive, but you've got like the jungle level, for example, and then you've got the mines and then the pirate ships. And you know that they're, they've all got different aspects to them. It's not just a run left to right. Like the, the jungle is you run left to right one and then from there you've got your mines are a lot more platformy and pits and mine carts and then you jungle uh, your pirate ship's got ropes and masts that you can climb up and you get a bit more of the climbing element to it so they've done really well to theme the levels so that they're not just your a to b that you get with some mario games some of the earlier mario games are all a to b nothing particularly different about it and then yeah they on this one they really put the effort in to make a jungle level different to a pirate ship level different to i think there's a temple which is pretty much you'd think the same as the jungle one but it's not because it's got those big stone wheels that chase you about and things and you go into dips and troughs don't you and yeah they've done a really good job of making it feel like every level is a new challenge and and they introduce things really well through the game and like you say you get these difficulty spikes but then when you face the same thing again next time you're better at it because you know what's what to expect. And the only thing I think, from what I remember, that lets it down a bit is that the bosses are all very similar in the first one. I think in the later ones, they change them up a bit. But I think in the first one, they follow that Nintendo jump on it three times and you win trait that you mentioned a few weeks back. Yeah, it's normally, oh, they're going to chuck a couple of things at me that I have to precision jump over. So they'll throw one thing at me and then I jump on it after that and it takes one of its health points off. The next time it'll throw two things at me in quick succession that I have to bounce over the top of and then jump on it. It'll then vomit three things at me and then I have to precision jump over those and yeah, bounce on it and knock it out and move on to the next stage. But yeah, um, I suppose if they were, you know, testing it as a... Because Mario didn't, aside from Bowser, didn't really, at the end of like every world, you didn't really have bosses in Mario games. And Zelda no. were all really weird, quirky, because it was isometric in Link to the Past, top-down sort of how it, having to work around that. Whereas this was side-scrolling, you didn't really get many side-scrolling bosses as such that weren't like Contra shooters. Yeah, you had Bowser, didn't you, in like every boss fight, just with slightly changed level layout in the first one second one was warped so that changed yeah. it up a bit i mean but even then in mario with everyone knows that mario 2 is not mario 2 i'm not going to go down that that avenue because it's like the worst kept secret in gaming but yeah it, it you get the birdo don't you every couple of levels and then you get Wart at the end and i think there's a mouse boss somewhere in there maybe so mario 2 did have a bit of variation but because it technically wasn't a mario game that's probably why and then mario 3 you've got the the cooper kids in mario 3 so they yeah they sort of do something a little bit different in that they fire off a different color spark out of the wand or or whatever um and then you got is it resnor or whatever it's called those four rhinoceroses on a wheel that literally never made any sense <laughs> to the the mario canon whatsoever They'd be better off suited to Donkey Kong as a boss. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, then but then you're looking at by the time you're at Super Mario World, things had moved on quite a bit, so you do sort of get a little bit more of a variation in bosses in that one. But again, it's it's usually just Bowser or a Koopa Kid, 
until you get to sort of like 64. And even then it's still Bowser all the time in, in the like the main boss levels, isn't it? You, you get other yeah. like throwing King bob about and stuff, but it's not really a boss, not really. So yeah, it's, it was one of those things. Mario's never really gone for bosses, has it? it it's They've always been sort of like a, a side note. Oh, we need something to finish the end of the level off. Chuck a Bowser in and that's it. I think it would have been interesting if they'd have kept with the idea of DK being an enemy of Mario's and then maybe have him at the end of some of the levels to fight and that would have been a bit bit interesting to see how they'd have done that. I suppose they went with Boom Boom instead. That could have been Donkey Kong easily, couldn't it? Instead of Boom yeah. Boom, just put DK in. He's got the move set of swinging his arms round and stuff, so maybe that yeah. was the plan at some point, I don't know. Maybe they were going to go with that and then they branched him off. But yeah, in terms of like a Nintendo game, the bosses are pretty good and they look brilliant. I think that's another thing. Like the, the background for the boss levels are usually like a like a place full of bananas, aren't they? Or, or something like that. So the background really pops compared to the rest of the level. And then the enemies are like just, I think most of them are bigger versions of the enemies you see in the regular levels. So you get yeah. like a huge bee at one point, don't you? And I think there's one of those huge like hamster type things that comes after you. So yeah, they, and and as the series went on, they did definitely make them more complicated, which was which was good. But yeah, I don't think that they're, they're bad. It's just in a game that's very good, they seem to be the the bit that they didn't have much effort put into it. Yeah, and I, I wonder whether that's restrictions of the hardware, what what can you do with it, other than make it a sort of slightly faster precision platforming exercise. Mm. Um, but, I mean, it is testament to Donkey Kong that it's the third best-selling game on the SNES, and it's the best-selling Donkey Kong of all time. So, probably why it's done so well, really. I'm assuming the what's above it, Mario and Zelda... Or two Marios? Yes. Uh, Mario and Zelda. I thought so. I was hoping Earthbound might have been up there, but I suppose when you you half your market, you're never going to outsell the game that's is, like worldwide. And it is heartbreaking about Earthbound because it is a stu- It's a weird game, like proper weird. I mean, even the art style and the way that the background goes in like three different directions at the same time. Mm. So you, it's like a fixed camera thing. So you start pressing up to go up over a hill. And it then just goes, all right, so you're wanting to go up, are you? Well, you need to press down now to go down this side <laughs> yeah. of the hill. It's like, oh, brilliant, thank you for that. I'm, I'm literally just getting to grips with the control scheme and you're throwing different angles of approach in a 2D environment at me. Great, thanks for that. But yeah, I love Earthbound. It's one of my favourites. I remember, because we couldn't play it over here, could we? Like, there was no way to really get it. And I'd seen Nes in, Ness, sorry, in um, Smash Brothers. I was like, what's that about? So I started researching it. So yeah, I ended up buying a copy, shall we say, uh, an American copy, and then playing it on my PC. And yeah, it's one of my all-time favourites. Like if it, it is available now like to play, isn't it? It's on, um, on the Switch thing that you get free with the membership. But it's such a good game. And like I, I just remember playing it for that first time when I was about, I don't know, 13, 14 probably. I was just hooked. I was... I, I must have completed it in about three days because I just sat there constantly playing it. And yeah, it's weird. Like it, it's quite adult in some bits of it, like not sexually explicit or anything, but there's quite a lot of adult themes in it. And I think it, because it deals with grief and and a lot of like that kind of thing, abandonment and all those types of thing. And it, it doesn't hold back with it. 
but it is really, really good and a bit cryptic in places uh, in how you beat certain enemies and, and that kind of thing, but not so much so that you really struggle, I don't think. So, yeah, I think it, it does a lot of things really, really well, and I, it's one that I really want to go back and play again. I have started it again and got so far, but I haven't finished it. But, yeah, just the the impact that the, uh, the Mr. Saturn colony had on me when I was like 14, I don't think I'll ever get rid of that because that is genuinely like a heartbreaking part of the game <laughs> Like when you go to that bit. I won't ruin it for everyone, but yeah, that had a quite an impact on my uh, young 13, 14-year-old self. And I actually ended up writing a review of it on, on a website that's now defunct, unfortunately, or I had to pull that back. But I remember being very complimentary to it in my uh, my younger years. I mean, it is. It does say something that it's not officially the first of the series. It's technically Mother Two because the mm. series was called Mother uh, over in Japan rather than Earthbound. Um, and yeah, the the bosses were the the last boss in particular is super cryptic, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone that wants to go out and play it because if you've enjoyed stuff like Undertale with the sort of childlike aesthetics and it goes back to what we were saying last week in Wind Waker it's that very picaresque narrative that sort of childlike mentality of mm. wandering because it's all set in the real world in inverted commas um so it's like kids playing a game and you get new party members added and when it's like when you were a kid and a new friend turned up and you'd sort of rope them in on the role play that you were doing and they'd be like, oh, well, what about if this happened? And you'd like sort of indulge their dalliance with the fantasy sort of thing. And then over the top of it, you've got this overarching theme of sort of existential dread and cosmic horror. And it's like, Jesus Christ, Nintendo, what's wrong with you? Um, This is supposed to be a kid's game. I mean, yeah, it really is, isn't it? It's like literally a kid goes out with a baseball bat to save the world. That's the the premise of it. Like, that's the opening gambit. And like, yeah, it's that childlike, everything's happy and there's nothing to worry about, even when they're in mortal danger. They're just like, yeah, fair enough. We'll We'll deal with this. And the last boss in particular is... It took me a long time to figure out what to do there. But the the artwork for the last boss as well is it gets mentioned quite a bit, doesn't it? Because it does look like a baby in a womb. Yep. Uh like in the background. And yeah, I don't know. I assume that was intentional. Because it's it's right on the border of like it could have been by accident and it's just a pattern, but it probably was intentional. And if you look at the picture, yeah, I don't think there's much denying it. I think there's um, sort of a slight intention behind it because the, obviously the title's Mother and there's mm. a lot of... And the first things you do in the game are you wander out, go to the top of a hill and then go back home and go to bed. So it's that return, being able to return safely to home, which yeah. is sort of like every kid's thing at the end of playing out with their friends. They get to go home to the comfort of the mum, essentially. Um, so Nintendo were really clever with doing it, and the the thing at the end is supposed to be some sort of infant cosmic horror that is threatening the world. Um, and I think, if I remember rightly, can't you choose your favourite food? Yeah, at the start and stuff like that in the in the creator. Yeah, yeah. See, actually, you, you name all the characters, you name your dog, and you name your favourite food. I think. And then your food is like an object you can pick up, like a health restorative, isn't it, at certain points of the game? But yeah, it is, it's 
it's really weird. It is a weird game, but it's so enjoyable to play through and 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 it's got a really good antagonist as well. So like even before it is this is it Gigas, the alien? Yeah. Even before it's that, the it's a kid called Pokey, isn't it? This little fat kid yeah. called Pokey. And he's just such a little dick and like you <laughs> I absolutely hate that kid, like, immediately. And I've, even now, like, what, what we on, like, 20 years after I played it or more, I still hate that kid. And, yeah, it's just, they build his character so well. He's so immediately annoying, and he just gets worse and worse as the game goes on. And, yeah, I, I know we've drifted away from, from Donkey Kong, but if you get the chance to play Earthbound, go and find a Switch, subscribe to the annual thing, and just play it because it is such a brilliant game. If you like, like Eddie said, if you like Undertale or RPGs or... I mean, even even if you like Pokemon and things like that, I think you'd still... There's transitional elements, isn't there, to the yeah. fighting and stuff that you would enjoy and the, the style of it and the way it's written, I think, is just weirder like a weirder version of Pokemon's stories. And yeah, you, you will definitely get something out of it if you like those kind of games. Yeah, definitely. And if you've ever wondered uh, while playing Smash Brothers who the kid with the baseball cap and the thousand-yard stare is, <laughs> that's where he comes from. <laughs> so yeah, just go find out the background of Ness. And I think the character from Mother 3 or Earthbound 3 was Lucas, was it? He's also in Smash as well. Yeah, I think he isn't he your friend in 2 as well? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, Lucas is in Smash, and Mr. Saturn's in Smash as a throwable object that doesn't really do anything, but he's in there. Uh, You've got to to patch the sound effect over the top if you can find it. (laughs) Yeah, I'll see if I can find it and put it in here. And if it's just a blank silence, it means I couldn't find it. But no, back to Donkey Kong. I think we've covered the first game and we've we've spent ages on it now. But just to talk about the sequels briefly. So Donkey Kong 2 got rid of Donkey Kong, which is a bold move, and introduced Dixie. So Donkey Kong's been kidnapped, a bit like Sonic 2 that I talked about a bit back on Game Gear when I was all geared up to pay tales and then he just got kidnapped in the opening scene and never see him again. So yeah, you play as Dixie and Diddy. So Dixie, again, a bit quicker than Donkey Kong, can fly with her hair, I think was the main gimmick that she had, and also whip enemies with the hair. So it was almost like having a raccoon suit in Mario. That's what she brought to it. Again, just builds on the first game, does everything a little bit better, apart from the fact she can't be Donkey Kong, which... I always preferred so but then three is where you sort of get the divided opinion because the game as a base is better I would say the maps are better there's more levels the levels are really well designed there's more to do in the map so you can go and play little mini games and that kind of thing um, and go and talk to like Cranky Kong and just get abused by him and then go back out to another level and that there's all those elements to it but they then get rid of Diddy Kong as well as Donkey Kong and you are Dixie and is he called Baby? Yes. Which I don't get what he brings. Like he doesn't really have any skills. He's just like a worse version of Diddy Kong from what I can remember. He's sort of like all the worst bits of Diddy and Donkey mixed together. So he's a little bit stronger, but he's really slow. 
and yeah, that that's the thing that really upsets people about Game Three. I think the fact that it's Dixie and then this baby that really can't do an awful lot. Yeah. And then we move on to obviously. So they resurrected the series in two thousand and oh, nineteen ninety nine for Donkey Kong sixty four, which was <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, <laughs> straight out the gate, you've got the issue of if you don't have an expansion pack, it doesn't work. So yeah. you had to have you had to have upgraded your N sixty four just to make the game play. I mean, I don't. Does it do anything without an expansion pack? No, it's same with Majora's Mask. Can't play it. And I mean, Majora, you sort of get away with it because you can tell how much they've used it. Whereas Donkey Kong Country. Mm, I'm not so sure. Uh, but when you do have an expansion pack, even then, it's just it's badly done, I think. like So I, I appreciate the ambition that they had with it because they've put like the whole Kong family in, haven't they? So there's like, there's like six of them or something. <laughs> yeah. And they've all got wildly different um, skills. So like donkeys, you're all rounder, like strength can do most things, but just averagely. Diddy's faster, can jump higher and has a gun, from what I remember, like yeah. a coconut gun, so he can shoot over distances. Dixie's got the flying thing again. Uh Lanky is it? That can yeah. like can he like climb higher than the others or there's something to do with how long <laughs> his arms like are, that. aren't they? Um I can't remember what the other two are, but they're not that good. The problem with it is everyone has their own set of collectibles. So if you're Donkey and you go to an area that's got Diddy's collectibles, you can't pick them up. But you also can't switch into Diddy without going to like one of these specific spots where you can change into other Kongs. So there's so much backtracking. Like if they'd have just given you like a switch on the fly, that game would have been so much better. And I get that they've done it as a mechanic to make things more difficult in certain areas. So you can't just cycle through them and you have to pick a path and go, right, I'm going to do all the bits that Donkey Kong can do, and then I'm going to switch, and I'm going to do all the bits that Diddy can do. But that's fine for the actual gameplay when you're trying to progress, but when you're trying to 100% it, or I think it goes to like 125% for some weird reason, when you're trying to do that and you have to keep going to an area and then going, oh, I needed to be Dixie here, so then you have to backtrack all the way to the thing that lets you change into to then go all the way back, and then you'll literally collect Dixie's things, and then just around the corner there'll be some of Diddy's, and you're like, right, all the way back to the thing, change to Diddy, come back and get those. And it's just an absolute grind to, to 100% it. And I think just literally one, just make the Z trigger switch Kongs, and you fixed all the problems with that game. But as it was, it just, yeah, I'd, I'd never gave it a lot of time. I had it, but I never played it loads, and I didn't get... I think I unlocked all the Kongs, and then that was about as far as I got. Um, I never had it. I bought an expansion pass uh, pack specifically for Majora, um, and mm. then never did anything else with it. Um, <laughs> and then uh, at that point is when Rare sort of got bought out by Microsoft, so they mm. stopped making stuff for Nintendo uh, and went exclusively over to uh, Microsoft consoles. So we had a load of sort of remakes and rehashes and stuff like that on the 360. Yeah. Um, and in 2010, they did Donkey Kong Returns, which is that the one with the bongos? Uh, no, that was Donkey Konga, wasn't it? <laughs> Although I think the... I th- 
I think you can use the bongos in a couple of games. I can't remember Returns now. But yeah, the um, there was a couple of Game Boy games as well, weren't there? Just to just to really cash in on it. Yeah, and I think they were ports. Uh, a couple of those were ports of Donkey Kong Country games. Um, that yeah, were just slimmed down pixelated versions. For, hmm. Yeah, I remember them not being too bad though. The the Game no, Boy no, ones. They... I don't think they were terrible. No, they translated quite well. But then the Game Boy had better. Because uh, it was that I think it was Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, and stuff like mm. that that they did them for. Then the Game Boy Advance had better capabilities than the SNES did. Yeah. Um, and then you had Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze in 2014 for the Wii U. And considering the Wii U sold like shit, Donkey Kong Country <laughs> didn't fare much better. I think they re-released it, didn't they, for Switch, and it did a little bit better. I mean, I owned the Wii U version, bought it for me and my partner to play, and I think we played it for about an hour. It's okay. It's it. They've tried to make the levels bigger. I think is the issue. So there's more verticality than ever in them, and it just when we were playing it, we both went off in our own paths, and like I nearly had to get a magnifying glass out to see where I was on the screen because it just zooms out so far because you're in two different planes that it yeah it was a bit awkward. And when when you both together in close quarters on the screen, it was fun and. It was like the good old days, but I didn't love it. I don't like the concept of it being all about ice and stuff when he lives in a jungle. Yeah, it just it it was really jarring, and I was like, I don't really want this. I'd rather just run through some more jungle levels and it'd be all sunny and bright and lovely. So, and I didn't like the bosses. That first seal boss was an absolute <laughs> pig. And I hated it. I spent so long at that boss. I, I think I did the boss out of spite eventually. I spent ages doing it. I'm like, I'm going to beat it if, if it's the last thing I do. Finished it and then realised <laughs> I didn't want to carry on playing the game anymore. <laughs> Plus, I'd nearly snapped my Wii U controller in half with the frustration. So I was just like... I was going to say, your arms were probably tired by that point, <laughs> holding up the, the like 12-inch... <laughs> screen and the, the absolute weight of that control pad uh did did it have any control pad gimmick i don't think it really did did it no i don't think so i think it may have been your inventory possibly well give him credit for that then for not incorporating that mess in in some way that ruins <laughs> the game uh but yeah it's it's an enduring franchise you've not seen much of from it for ages now but DK's still going strong, isn't he? Quite a big part in the movie, uh, in the Mario movie. So hopefully we'll see another one. I mean, yeah, the movie did great to sort of cover off a lot of the characters in a very short space of time. So you got Cranky got quite a big part. Although I'm sure, like, Cannon, isn't he dead? Or was it his wife that died in one of the games? And she's just a ghost. I think it's his wife. Yeah, I think, see, that's, I think that's 64, isn't it? She's just a ghost and you can go and talk yeah. to her. Um, which is a bit harsh. But yeah, there was Cranky, there was DK, obviously. Diddy Kong got a little cameo, didn't he, in, in, the, in one of the scenes, and I think Dixie and Baby might be sat with him. Definitely saw Dixie. And then I think, for anyone who hasn't seen it, I don't think this is going to spoil anything for it, but the Kong that like slips on the banana peel and crashes into that like hut and explodes that's oh, i can't remember his name the one that's like always dressed in like glittery suits and has suave hair and he's like a game show host isn't he i can't remember his name yeah. now but that was meant to be him so he gets a little cameo 
So yeah, they they obviously Nintendo obviously still has a lot of love for the DK franchise, and maybe this is a sign of they're gonna do another game eventually. I'd like to see another one. I'd love to see them take a crack at another three D one that's just not bad, and and see if they could write that wrong because I think that would be a really fun sort of third person game to have as a Donkey Kong game, but I just don't know. The first one just didn't do well enough for them to risk it. I don't think. No, particularly when you can see, I think it would be a good shout for them to do a full sort of 3D platformer, particularly when you consider the, and this is probably a nice segue into our next game, when you compare it to the likes of Banjo-Kazooie, because mm. that is a 3D platformer done right. Yeah. So, moving on then. Um, number 64 in the list, Banjo-Kazooie. One that I did have, although not when it came out immediately. And yeah, one that I've got a lot of fondness for, but like, I don't know if it's misplaced fondness. Because when I go back and play it now, I don't enjoy it as much as I did back then. Like, some bits of it are really irritating. And I I think there's, it's one of those things where I've just praised Donkey Kong for having loads of different control schemes that are all really tight and really work. Banjo has lots and lots of different control schemes and moves, but they're really hard to sometimes like remember which one does what because there's that many things to do in it that I sometimes find myself like just cycling through all the moves I've got until I figure out which one is the one that I need to use for whatever I'm doing. Yeah, and if I remember rightly, weren't there loads of different collectibles in it as well? Yeah, I mean, it different... is, it's the ultimate collectathon, isn't it? So you've got Jiggies, which are the main one. Then you've got those birds that I can't remember the name of. There's like six of them in each level. Then you have to collect red feathers for certain things, yellow feathers for certain things. Musical notes, that's another one. You can collect musical notes. So yeah, there's like a million different things to collect that all do different things. So like the feathers, I think, are in like an immediate bonus, aren't they? So you can use them, they're like ammo for stuff or materials to use to do a power, that kind of thing. Musical notes, I'm not sure. I know one of the collectibles, you take him to that like tiki god and he turns you into a different animal. Yeah. But I can't remember what that is, whether that's the birds or whether it's the musical notes. But yeah, there is so much to collect in that game. And I think that's what appealed when I was younger. Like the, the idea of collecting everything when I was younger really appealed to me, whereas now and I'm older and more cynical and don't have as much time left on this planet, I just see it as like a a thing that's wasting my time rather than being fun to do. Yeah, I don't mind when a collectible contributes to your gameplay. So if it if you collect stuff and it has an in-world advantage for you to do it, so my example would be Tears of the Kingdom. So going around collecting all the mushrooms and meat and shit like that um, gives you the ability to cook them, which gives you hearts, which gives you stamina, etc., etc. So there is a benefit to it. And in games, you know, you can collect certain things and after a certain number, it'll power you up. Um, or you can trade them into someone who will give you better gear, what have you. This is collecting for the sake of collecting, and it really bugs me when games do it. I get you've got to stretch your um, play length out, but this is artificial lengthening. Just (laughs) give me a bigger game. I don't think it needs it so much, because it is a big game anyway. There's plenty to do without having to go around and collect 100 musical notes in every stage, and 
and all that kind of thing. But I mean, I will say for it, at least you can collect them all as Banjo-Kazooie. You don't have to keep going to a pad and turning from one to the other to then go back and collect them again. So yeah, it, I mean, I think we're being a little bit harsh on Banjo-Kazooie because it is a really good game and it's endearing characters. It looked nice at the time. It looks slightly less nice now, but it's sort of holding up. It spawned a sequel, which was, again, more of the same, but bigger. Um, more things to collect, more moves to learn and do, better bosses to fight, all that kind of thing. So yeah, it's done well. And then it spawned nuts and bolts, which we don't talk about, because <laughs> everyone was expecting Banjo 3, and then Microsoft did a little bit of a bait and switch, and it turned out to be a game where you like build cars and had nothing to do with Banjo-Kazooie, and everyone just went absolutely apeshit. Uh, <laughs> so, and then, yeah, they... Didn't they do? Did they do a another one? There's one. There's been rumors of one in the works, aren't there, for ages? Yeah, they did two spin-offs. So there was Grunty's Revenge, and Grunty is the main antagonist who's a witch. And then you get Banjo Pilot, which was released in 2005. Mm. Which I'm assuming, given from the name, it's a flight sim uh, or a flying racer game with Banjo. But Banjo's appeared in like loads of racing games. So he's appeared in a Mario Kart, I think. He's appeared in Donkey Kong Racing. He's probably even appeared in like Sonic Racing or something like that as like an unlockable. Okay, so Banjo Pilot was, I thought it was, but I had to check. It was what was originally going to be Diddy Kong Pilot. They reskinned it as a Banjo-Kazooie game instead, so I don't know if they'd lost some sort of license because Donkey Kong belongs to Nintendo, doesn't it? Whereas Banjo belongs to Rare. So maybe they were developing it for Nintendo and they fell out and they had to put their own IP on it instead of one that... But apparently Banjo, uh, Diddy Kong Pilot, from the people that have played bits of it, was going to be like amazing. And then when they switched it, they had to cut a lot of it out and it, it sort of just became another sort of generic racing game, but in planes. So yeah, I'd never heard of Grunty's Revenge though. What would, what did that come out for? Uh, that was, That came out in 2003 and it came out for the Game Boy Advance. That's probably why we've not heard of it. Uh, and it was an isometric um, pl- puzzle platformer, which mm. I don't think isometric doesn't really lend to platforming that well. No, not unless you've got really good good shadow underneath the character yeah. to know where they're going to land. So, three D is a bit of a push for platforming, really. Seeing as you can fall off the sides as well as the front and back of a platform. Yeah, but f- bloody isometric. There's a reason they don't do isometric puzzle platformers anymore. I think um, the going back to nuts and bolts. I think the the thing that really really wound people up about it was the start of the game. From what I remember, Banjo is like really fat, and he comes out of his house and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm ready for another adventure." And he's like too fat to do anything. He just keeps like getting really exhausted and falling over. And they basically tell him he has to get back in shape to for the next game. And then I think he does it, and then it turns into this like car building game that's nothing like Banjo Kazooie. So it was like they were really, really bait and switching and, and sort of pulling the carpet out from under people who were really excited about it. So I think that's why it went down badly. But I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't do another one eventually. If they did another one eventually, sorry. Because people, they're still big fans of it. Like even now, they're still bringing merchandise out. I mean, I've got just next to me, I've got a Banjo Kazooie. Um, 
game controller holder, like a little statue. And then the other day I got a set of like rare pins and Banjo's one of those. And I got a, they did a little gold jiggy as well, like a collectible gold jiggy like a couple of years ago. So there's still, the IP is still popular enough to get all these products made. So I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't. And I'm surprised he's not made his way into Smash Brothers yet. He has. Um, he's a, has he? he's one of the assist trophies. So you know the things oh, you can right. pick up, and they've come out of the capsules. And yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. A, I think he's actually a playable character now in Ultimate. I think he was one of the DLC characters oh, right. for that. Um, but yeah, the the longevity the longevity of the characters is quite surprising because first for figures have just announced mm. a Banjo Kazooie uh, statue for that. Um, yeah. and g- given how completely bizarre the entire thing is really because you've got a random skull-faced tiki man you've got banjo (laughs) that's a bear you've got kazooie that's this red nondescript bird yeah nondescript bird thing and they're being antagonized by a green traditional looking wizard of oz style witch and it's like who wrote this don't forget bottles as well he was always my favourite character. Like a little mole that pops up and teaches you everything with like the thickest glasses ever. But yeah, it, it spawned a couple of good... Well, one good sequel. One, I mean, Nuts and Bolts isn't a terrible game. It just isn't the game everyone wanted it to be. And it was never going to do well when you tell people that there's another Banjo game coming out and then completely switch it on them. Um, but I think another game that probably spawned out of Banjo was Conkers because it's... They look yeah. pretty much the same, don't they? A lot of the level layouts and everything, I think, are, are quite similar. Um, but yeah, probably Nintendo's most controversial game, I would say, Conker's Bad Fur Day. I can't yeah. remember them doing anything like that before or since. No, there were adult games at the time, but they were more along your lines of visceral gore, mm. not prolific swearing, sex references from a talking cartoon squirrel. It just, yeah. And I mean, it had the gore as well, didn't it? Because oh, like yeah. things get ripped apart in it, and I think at one point you fight a big talking lump of shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, that sings it, yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, it, it, I've, it was one of those games that it was really hard to get hold of, even when it came out. I don't think they did a particularly big print run of it, and I never knew anyone who had it. And about 10 years ago, I bought a Another another N sixty four, and I was trying to build up a little game library, uh, and I got all sorts of obscure games for like pennies because people just didn't want them at the time. But I could not get a copy of Bad Fur Day, no matter what I did. I mean, I think if I'd have paid about five hundred quid, I could have got one. But I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And then they they announced like a a re release, didn't they? That it was going to be like uncut, and everyone got really excited. And then it was more cut than the original game, like with all the like swearing and stuff took out of it. And I think there is now a, a faithful version. Was it on the Rare Replay thing? Yeah, because the they remake... like a faithful one. Yeah, the remake you're on about was for the 360 that just came out as it's... Mm. I think it was Conker's Bad Fur Day Reloaded. That's they it, They called yeah. it. And for a, for a game that's about a little cartoon squirrel and, you know, who's... I'm assuming he, I can't remember the story beat for beat, but I think his girlfriend probably gets kidnapped at the beginning and he goes mm. on like a Mario-esque sort of route through worlds trying to rescue him. I mean, it pays homage to The Matrix, Saving Private Ryan, Alien, 
and it just it just takes completely batshit detours off into just random areas of pop culture and so yeah you get like horrific beach massacres like at the beginning of saving private ryan when they're going up normandy beach it's just just gore constantly with squirrels and rabbits getting their heads blown off and yeah just completely bizarre for nintendo to agree to have that sort of a game on the console we were getting dangerously close then with those war references i nearly had to cut you off I made a promise last week that we weren't going to mention a certain something ever again, and we were getting close then, so I'm glad it didn't drift into that territory. But yeah, Conkers is one for another day, I think. Maybe we'll do a... a, We were lining up these specials left, right and centre, but maybe we'll look at Conkers down the line, because it obviously isn't in the list, because I'm the only one played it, I don't think. Um, But there's a lot to be said about how controversial it was, and the the stir it caused, and and yeah, how it's only very recently... I mean, I say very recently, Rare Replay's been out for quite a while, now but relative speaking only recently you've actually been able to play a a faithful version of it that left all the the bits in that were controversial speaking of games that haven't been re-released for a long long time there's another good little segue for you uh goldeneye number 10 i don't think there's anyone out there who's got an interesting game in that doesn't know what goldeneye is it was just that prolific and still remains that prolific it was it was just that game that everyone had, wasn't it? When when the N sixty four, if you've got an N sixty four, you've got Goldeneye. It was just you you couldn't not have it, even if you didn't really like those kind of games or you had no interest in James Bond. There was something about that game that just everyone had to have it. Yeah, and it, it spawned a lot of sort of copycats because they did they did Tomorrow Never Dies, but that was for the PlayStation. And that was that was awful. That was really yes. bad. But they tried to rip off GoldenEye Summit Chronic because the the HUD is pretty much identical. the The way they segregate it into individual comp- compartmentalized missions is identical. And then you've got the spiritual successor of Perfect Dark, which again was by Rare, and we'll probably talk about after we've discussed GoldenEye. But yeah, I don't know anyone that had an N64 console that did not own GoldenEye. I think it's a physical impossibility. <laughs> that um, The James Bond one that came out on PlayStation, I don't know why to this day, used to give me really bad anxiety. Like I used to want to play it, but not dare turn it on. And I can't explain it because it wasn't like you say, it was a rubbish game. Uh, and it wasn't particularly enjoyable. It wasn't particularly hard. But I used to get really stressed out about it. I'd be like, "Oh, I want to play that James Bond game, but I don't want to. I don't want to play it." And I, it's the only game that's ever done that to me. And I can't to this day explain why it did it or what it was about that game. But even now, when I see the cover of it, I'm like, Oof, "No, no, I'm not going near that." <laughs> and I just I can't explain it at all. But yeah, GoldenEye was one that, again, because I didn't have an N64 at the time it first came out, I didn't have. But literally every friend I had had it, so we just whatever house we ended up at, there was a copy of GoldenEye waiting to be played. And if we weren't doing the main missions, we were in a four-player deathmatch, usually like knives only or something, just to to add a bit of of fun to it. So yeah, for those who aren't familiar with GoldenEye, and I can't imagine there's many of you, the main mode follows the film in as much as it's certain 
parts of the film chunked up into different missions. But then there's also the multiplayer aspect of it where up to four people can play on the same console as a deathmatch and you can set certain parameters on it. So it can be first to a certain amount of kills, a time limit, and whoever's just killed enough people in that time limit wins. You can set the weapon loadouts. So there's certain... I don't think you could particularly like pick gun for gun i think you could in perfect dark but not in goldeneye but there were different categories so there's like only pistols or only automatics or only knives or just fists or just golden gun so if it was just golden gun it was one shot kills uh which was fun but then if you had only throwing knives it could take forever if you set like first to 10 kills and only throwing knives you could be there all night because it was nearly impossible to get somebody with a throwing knife and we used to play it for hours just um obviously nobody could be odd job that was a rule I think that was pretty much universal among GoldenEye players because he was half the size of everyone else. So he's like much harder to hit. I'm not a big multiplayer shooter fan. I think we covered that off in the Doom episode a couple of weeks back. But that one for me, yeah, there was something about GoldenEye that just I could keep coming back to it and I wasn't particularly bad at it and we had a lot of fun on it as well. And the other fun thing you could do on it as well on the main campaign because um, the first time I ever played it, I obviously wasn't familiar with it all, and my friend was really into it. So what we did is I ended up controlling the shooting, and he was controlling the walking, because for some reason that's a setup that you could have. So he controlled where we went, and I controlled aiming and firing the gun. And it, it sounds like weird, and I suppose it was probably a bit more boring for him than it was for me, but like you just wouldn't see that in a game these days but there was all there was loads of weird combinations weren't there of like ways you could control it two player in the main story mode yeah and i think it's one of the few games that people have an affection for the single player and the multiplayer equally because if you look at most modern shooters it's all about the multiplayer and the story mode, single player is sort of just tacked on um, to the point where a lot of Call of Duties these days don't even have a single player. They just go, ah, there's your multiplayer, just carry on. Um, but it, uh, GoldenEye and Perfect Dark are two of the few multiplayer shooters that have a... People have a soft spot for both aspects of it because they are both so well-crafted and props to Rare for it because they designed them both and... Perfect Dark's a little bit more frustrating in single player because you've got a lot of escort missions in it and the enemies are a lot more tanky, but the multiplayer on Perfect Dark's an absolute hoot. I was going to say, you're being generous there, saying a little bit more frustrating on single player. Perfect Dark single player is, I wouldn't say horrible because it is still fun, but it is so stressful in certain like you say, it's the escort missions. The other ones aren't too bad. I mean, there are there are ones where you literally just you down to like three frames a second because there's so many people shooting at you and you don't really know what to do. But yeah, the escort missions, escorting one of them, you have to escort like a flying laptop, don't you? Which is quite possibly the most stupid bit of AI in any game I've ever played. Like Ashley in Resident Evil 4 is bad, and that laptop, I would say, is on a par with her. It like <laughs> yeah. actively flies in front of your face like when you're trying to take people out. And then you get the little alien, Elvis, is it? He follows you yeah. around for a bit, but he can sort of fight back a little bit, I think, can he? He does. Yeah, he does. So he's a, a little bit more useful. But yeah, GoldenEye wasn't without that aspect, was it? Because you've got, is it Natalia, that you have yeah. to 
to guide out of that one level, and she's hopeless as well. She just runs in front of guns like carte blanche and just decides to get picked off. And yeah, the amount of times I had to restart a mission because she died and I'd done nothing wrong whatsoever is unbelievable. Yeah, between Natalia and Dr. Carol, which is the flying laptop thing, they've both got the self-preservation <laughs> of a dead prawn in a sock. Um, <laughs> there's literally no qualms about it. Oh, you've got... Particularly because you can put the cheats into single player as well, so you can have infinite ammo, no reloads. So you literally just hold the trigger, and it just continues to empty the clip. And she'll just happily wander in front of a steady stream of bullets <laughs> until the mission ends. And it's only a couple of shots before she does die. <laughs> but yeah, and on the... Because a lot of the unlocks for like infinite ammo and stuff like that, you had to complete single-player missions in like set time limits. And some of them were unforgiving in terms of... I think there's... the second level facility you had to complete in a minute and 26 or something ridiculous like that to get infinite ammo and it it is unforgiving in how relentless it is trying to get that there's like a minute's worth of firefight at the end of that level as well isn't there so you've pretty much got half a minute to do all the other things and like it was on double o agent as well i think wasn't it so you've got to go and collect key cards and do it's not just like you can just bomb from start to finish in, in a minute 26 you have to achieve other things. And a bit of it, I think, I'm sure some of it was down to RNG because you have to get something off one of the scientists, don't you? And it's just a, a, a complete crapshoot as to where he will be when yes. you need to get it from him. So if you're on like a really good run and then he's just not where you're expecting him to be, you've pretty much screwed it and you have to start again. And I think, was it with Goldeneye where it was like 15 years before anyone realised that there was actually tap-in codes for the cheats? Everyone just assumed you had to earn them through the levels. And then it came out, didn't it, like 15 years later that there actually was a way to enter cheat codes and and sort of get them turned on without doing the hard graft. And I remember the only ones I ever really unlocked were paintball mode because that was dead easy to unlock. Big head mode because, again, really easy to unlock. So I had the ones that didn't really help you at all. They just made things a bit funnier. Yeah, and I think there was one that I ended up being obsessed with getting and it's in the library so it's about midpoint in the game single player and you're with natalia on an escort mission and you're in this multi-story library with people who can shoot through floors because it's like grated flooring that you're running across and you have to complete it in a certain time and the amount of times this silly bint got stuck in a door (laughs) just the door. I opened the door to go through it. I'd carry on running, spraying bullets, get through to the next bit, and you'd turn around, and she wasn't there. So you'd run back, and she was just there, trapped behind this door, just running on the spot. So I for God's sake, shut the door, open the door again. She'd run through, and it was just an exercise in controller chewing frustration, trying to unlock these sudden things. Because like you say, it's just RNG in terms of a her AI and be the way they laid out the levels. Mm. It was it, There were certain things in it as well that like were quite impressive, I remember being for the time. So little things like, um, I think there's one level in there where you're up against it, and then if you cut down a back street, the, the sort of mangled interpretation of Robbie Coltrane stood there, and if you talk to him, you get like another minute and a half to do it or something like that, and it's yeah. 
little things like that where you don't expect them to have gone to those efforts to put in little Easter eggs that actually benefit you as well. So like you could just carry on and try and do it in the time you've got, but you take this little diversion and he's there looking all mangled and gives you another minute and a half to do it. And yeah, I I, I enjoyed that aspect of it that they put these little secrets in for you to find and there's the gadgets as well and so you get the laser watch and and the proxy mines and all those cool little bits out of the film that you can use to make your life a little bit easier or in some cases you need them don't you on the train to cut out the floor panel to jump out of and and all those things but the the one thing that goldeneye does that i think is really cruel and i've always thought this so you've got three levels of difficulty in the game and double o agent is your hard mode or extreme hard mode or whatever you want to consider it as so every time you go up the level it usually adds in a bit more complexity so the first one might be just to get to the end of the level the second one might be to collect something and get to the end of the level the third one might be collect that thing and use it on a computer to take down a network and then get to the end of the level so they make it more complex in that you have to go to different areas that you wouldn't normally have to go to then they throw in more enemies that are more precise and do more damage. And then, just to really top it off, they take out power-ups that you know are in the lower like difficulties. So like on um, the first level, the dam, for example, by the time you get to the hardest setting, you have to like find this little computer device and throw it or throw something onto it and then go into the room that's directly below it and like hack one of these computers but to do that you have to go right to the other end of the level and go back through a load of tunnels that are just absolutely rammed full of soldiers the first three or four times i did it i just got annihilated so i'm like i know there's a flak jacket in the very far turret at the end of the dam i'm going to go and get that and then that'll give me the little bit of time i need plow through these guys and get to it and you go there and it's just not there on the hardest difficulty, but it is on the other two. And it's like, so you've made things this million times harder and more things for me to do. And now you're actively taking away the the few things that might be able to help me. And that's just completely through the whole game. Like it just, it, it, I just think it's cruel. Like at least leave the power ups in there if you're going to make things that bit more difficult. But yeah, it does a it does a relatively faithful job of mirroring the film as well, doesn't it? You've got Sean Bean in there and... Robbie Coltrane, as I've previously mentioned, and you, you do get all the characters, I think, because there's a lot of characters in the multiplayer that aren't in the main game, aren't they, from other Bond films, like Jaws and Oddball, and yeah. uh, Odd Job, sorry, Oddball, Odd Job, <laughs> that pops up in there. So you've got all, all those that come up in multiplayer, but then in the main game, you've pretty much got all the characters from the film at some point in it. All, albeit recreated in ghoulish sort of <laughs> yeah. 3D stretched Square sprites. Yeah. Like big block heads with like a photo stretched across it and then a mouth just flapping in the middle of it. Uh, but no, it's it, it's got its charm. I mean, it, again, we'll say it for nearly every game on this list probably. It, it hasn't held up as well as it could have done. Uh, and then, yeah, as as we alluded to right at the start, there's not really been any remakes of it because the the person who owns the franchise, so I don't know if it was Ian Fleming's daughter or daughter-in-law or something like that, was quite precious about it. And, and I don't think she they were never a fan of Goldeneye in the first place. And they nixed a lot of remakes and re-releases. And then when that's why the Goldeneye remake that came out a few years ago 
had Daniel Craig in it instead of Pierce Brosnan because she was worried that people would see it and get confused that they'd recast Pierce Brosnan again as James Bond, which sounds absolutely ridiculous. But, yeah. I mean, they, they made a mess of it anyway. Even without putting Daniel Craig in it, they sort of ruined it. But, yeah, it was only this year, I think, or late last year, when they finally relented and said, yep, yeah, you can you can do a re-release of it, and that's why we've now got it on Xbox and Switch. Have they tidied it up at all? It didn't look much improved to me. It looked a little bit crisper, maybe. I think the Switch version's just got 60 FPS or as close to mm. 60 FPS as it can get. Um, but other than that, no, um, it's still the same old. I think they've they've chucked online multiplayer in, haven't they? I think that's yeah. the big thing that that everyone was excited about. But I've not heard as much hype about it as I thought I would since it came out. Like it came out to this big fanfare, and then no one's really mentioned it since. No, and I think it's because it was just fans clamoring for a re-release of it, and then everyone sort of got it and went, oh. Um, there are I forgot games it was that like this. It. Yeah. Yeah, there are games that have done it better since. Not in sort of a nostalgic version, but if you think about stuff like Time Splitters um, mm. and Time Splitters 2 and Future Perfect, they're all essentially GoldenEye clones because they have fantastic multiplayer and really solid single player offerings. And there's a myriad cast of characters, like really quirky characters that you can pick from. And then you've got Perfect Dark, the Perfect Dark sequel, which we will not discuss in this because that was <laughs> god-awful. Uh, worse than any sequel I've uh, I've ever had the uh, misfortune of having to play, I think. But yeah. I'll tell you what was a good one that sort of cribbed off Goldeneye a little bit uh, and then got an absolutely horrific remake. Do you remember 13? Yes. Yeah. I really liked 13. The, the multiplayer on 13 was... Because like it had the standard multiplayer, but then it had this mode where I got, I've never seen it implemented in another game, where there's basically death walking around like a full-on Grim Reaper, and he will hunt people down if he sees them. And the whole aim of it is to not get killed by him. But you can draw his attention to other players by shooting at them, and if you hit them, they make a noise and he'll go towards them. And also, if you shoot him, he gradually gets smaller and smaller. So he starts off like a full-size human, and the more you shoot him, he gets tinier and tinier until he's like Jerry from Tom and Jerry size. And then he's like stupidly fast, and he whizzes around all over the place, and he's really hard to hit. And then if you hit him when he's that small, he springs back into the big version again. And yeah, I've never seen like a gameplay mode like that in any other game, but we had so much fun with that. And when they announced they were doing a remake, I got really excited, and then it was just absolutely crap. And that's a real shame because 13, the art style and the style Mm. of gameplay where you'd kill an enemy and you'd get like a little mini comic strip panel down the side of like you throwing the knife and it hitting him in the head while you're still playing the game because you could still move and carry on shooting in real time. But it had like a little side panel down the edge of the screen where it would show you killing individuals as you were going with like amazing death shot cams and stuff like that. I mean, the plot is a bit 39 steps uh the film Mm. so it's a bit like there's a shadowy sort of agency that's behind pulling the strings behind the uh, world and there are 13 leaders within it um and it's basically your mission to take down that group um but yeah so it, it does have a bit of a 39 steps aspect to it but yeah again stunning game 
However, the remake, utter toss, and they had the cheek to charge you full price for it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think that covers... I'm sure we'll do something on Perfect Dark going forward because I know it's one of your favourites. I've always had a soft spot for it as well. I don't prefer it to GoldenEye. I'd, well, I don't know. I've probably played it more than GoldenEye, so maybe I do. But, yeah, I'm sure we can get into that at a later point. But let's uh, let's get some ratings in, shall we? So we're working from a practically up-to-date list because I actually bothered myself to update it on the website. Although I believe the website stopped working because I broke it earlier on. So we have got DK Country. So thinking about where it goes on our list, I don't know. I've had a lot of enjoyment playing it, but I don't know exactly where I'd put it. I don't know what your thoughts on it are. No, it's one of those that... If someone mentions it, I think fondly of it. However, if nobody mentions it, I never think about it. So it's weird. It occupies this sort of nebulous nether space of, oh, yeah, that existed, didn't it? Oh, yeah, that was quite good. And then other than that, I do not think about it ever again. It's like um, Pringles. You don't think about them until you've got them in the house. And then all you think about (laughs) is having Pringles. (laughs) And then you never think about them again. No, yeah, I get that. It's, uh, I think it's one of them. If it was there, I'd probably play it. Yeah, but I wouldn't ever, like, it wouldn't ever be my first choice to go and play it these days. I suppose. So, in that case, what kind of score are we thinking? I'd say sort of low sixties, because it's not to the point where it's. I've had no enjoyment out of it, and I'm pushing it right down the list because I think it's crap, like Pac Man and Tetris. Mm. However, with the same caveat, I wouldn't say that it was particularly influential, really. No, no, it's it was just I don't want to say standard platformer, but it's like yeah, it's it's not got an awful lot that hadn't been done elsewhere. I think I'd go a bit higher. I'd be tempted to go like around the sort of 72, 73 mark. Fair. So if you want to meet in the middle and go like seventy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, um, I mean, even it, you can't even say that it spawned a legacy because its sequels were all either not that great or just didn't have enough people play them to actually have an appreciation because of the consoles they were on. Yeah, there was like diminishing returns rather than going the other way, wasn't there? That, like some things yeah. got better, but most things didn't. Most things just got worse. So yeah, I'd I'd go with seventy. I think that's probably fair because it it is a fun game, and I think it's got to have a seventy just because of how playable it still is. A lot of games these days, you go back to them and you struggle. Whereas that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'd be able to go back and play it start to finish and still enjoy it. It just wouldn't be the first one I'd pick. So moving on to banjo, as I said earlier on, it sort of frustrates me a bit playing it now. I still enjoy it. But the sheer amount of collectibles and the amount of effort that I have to put in in each level, because I'm I'm not good at completing games, but I like I feel like I want to be a completionist, even though I'm not. So if I see stuff to collect in a level, I can't ignore it. So if I see like a I don't know one of those little bird things sat up on a ledge, I need to go up on that ledge and get it, and I'll just keep trying different things until I can get there. To the detriment of my gameplay sometimes, because I'll. I'll want to get everything straight away and a lot of things you can't get until you unlock other abilities, but I won't want to wait, so I'll just keep trying and trying when I'm actually there's probably something I need to do first. So yeah, that 
sort of frustrates me these days because I want to get everything, but it's just so much effort to get it all. Yeah, and I realise we're dealing with the list and we're, we're dealing with what we've been given, basically. However, I think if I was to grab hold of the people that write retro and give them a good shake, I'd poll for the fact that instead of Banjo, it should have been Spyro. Because I think Spyro does what Banjo-Kazooie does, but better. And that's not nostalgia. Yeah, I'm amazed that Spyro's like not in the list and Crash isn't in the list. Like, No. That really baffles me that two games that are so influential haven't made it into this list when like five Mario games have. And do you know what I mean? It's it's almost like too one-sided. But yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. I think Banjo's good, but I definitely enjoyed Spyro more as, as somebody who's on PlayStation anyway. Spyro and Crash, I'd argue that they probably did deserve that spot more. But then I'd argue that maybe take one of the spots away from Sensible Soccer and have them both in the list would yeah. be a better solution. So yeah, yeah it's it's one of those. I, I did have a lot of enjoyment playing it when I was younger. I enjoyed the sequel. Uh, I still like the characters. That's why I've got figures of them and whatnot. And I think it deserves a couple of extra points for inspiring like ukulele which is essentially yes. the same game, just with a different character because they couldn't use Banjo-Kazooie. So, yeah, I think it deserves a bit for that because, again, ukulele is it's the same game, isn't it? Massive collectathon with all the little puns in there and, and the different character mechanics of having two characters strapped together. So, yeah, I'd, I'd boost it for that. Just a, just a couple of points, I would say. Yeah, and it's also influenced stuff like there was a game last year, I think, called Hell Pie, which had... Similar gameplay, however, it was very. It was like a demon with an angel on a chain strapped to its back, and there were. I mean, it was weird. It was borderline Conquer's Bad Fur Day because it had the cutesy aesthetic, but it was also quite grim and a bit poo related. And in some places, it was really, <laughs> really weird. Um, but yeah, so and um, a hat in time. As well, that was came out a couple yeah. of years ago. That was a bit Mario sixty four, a bit Banjo Kazooie esque, because it was a load of collectibles. Um, but yeah, ukulele wasn't that great, unfortunately. Um, and it was like they'd tried to make a faithful remake of Banjo Kazooie and just didn't have the passion or the wherewithal to make it as good. But yeah, I'd I'd probably peg Banjo higher than Donkey Kong to be fair. I'd put them similar, I think. So, yeah, if we go like 70, what, 73, 74? Yeah. So we'll give them a 73, 74. I, I didn't hate Ukulele. The second one wasn't very good because it changed the whole game, didn't it? It went like a side-scroller rather than a, a 3D adventure game, uh, and I preferred the first one. I think it had a lot going for it. It was just, like you say, they, they tried to be too faithful almost and yeah. cram too much into it. Um, when it didn't need it. But yeah, I still had a lot of fun with it. And it was, I don't think it was like a 40 quid game when I got it. I don't know if it came out as a 40 quid game, but for what it was, it was worth like 20 odd or whatever I paid for it. Yeah, let's move on to the last one, GoldenEye. I mean, I feel like we we have to give it a high score based on the fact we said everyone owned it and it's still popular now and there's still people out there that, that want to play it. And I, I played it recently and I did have a lot of fun going back into it. But I also, at the same time, noticed its limitations when I went back into it. 
Yeah, if I was if I was going with um twelve year old me's opinion of it, I'd I'd put it up there with the likes of Pokemon in terms of that this is like if if you're thinking of an epitome of a game, the epitome of a first person shooter is Goldeneye by default. If someone says to me first person shooters, one of my first thoughts is usually Goldeneye. Yeah. So yeah, I think it is it, it's not influential in terms of it didn't start anything really. It was sort of like the midpoint, but it was a peak. It's like something that very few sort of managed to compete with until you get to the likes of Halo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it just it did everything right, like you said. It had the first the the single player and the two player as an even balance, which I can't remember many games that did that like since in terms of that genre of like first person shooters. They're either a full blown single player campaign with a little bit of multiplayer tact on the side, or vice versa. Whereas this did this mode was as good as this mode. If you've got friends, this is the one you play. If you're in on your own, this is the one you play and there's no sort of like middle ground. And I suppose that came from the fact that the they didn't have the internet to make it all about the multiplayer. They had to give people a reason to own it when they didn't have the friend round. So yeah, it just for for that reason it it was just like the the quintessential N64 game that you you knew that if you got that out, everyone's going to dive in, and if you had four controllers, even better, and and you're just going to have fun with it. So I think it deserves like what mid 80s. Yeah, I'd say so because, like we said last week, when we said that um, Master Chief was synonymous with Xbox, N64 is completely and utterly inseparable from GoldenEye. If you yeah. say N64, you go GoldenEye. You don't even consider stuff like Ocarina of Time. You literally go GoldenEye. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a statement in and of itself. So Yeah, I think you're right. I think, where are we going? Do you think mid-80s is too stingy? Or do you think... No, like 85, 86, that, that sort of area. We'll go 86 then. I think it's about where it needs to be. So, with that said, that almost brings us to a close for this this week's episode. We are recording slightly in advance uh, because Eddie's it's Eddie's turn to go away and, and desert the podcast for a couple of weeks. So we've recorded a couple in advance. So as you're hearing this, I'm just preparing for UKGE, which is a, a big board game convention in Birmingham. So that's perfect little segue to plug the fact that we now have a sister podcast, Bucketless Board Gamers, who will talk about board games rather than video games each each time in their episodes. So each episode, pick a different game, and whoever in our little pool of board game players wants to talk about it will jump in and give their verdicts and, yeah, just decide whether, whether it's a game worth playing, essentially. And it can be a bit different to how we work, as in it won't always be the same people on each show. Sometimes it'll be completely different cast of people just because board games are so diverse and there's so many of them out there that aren't easily accessible that we sort of needed a pool of people that have a load of different games so that when they want to talk about one or the other there's other people that also own it or have access to it so you might hear a lot of new voices on that one i'm on a couple of episodes in the early stages um but yeah they're a great group of people the first episode is out now and it's about 
Carcassonne, which is a like one of the first games people go to when they get into sort of hobby board gaming rather than the Monopolies and Cluedos of the world. If you if you're interested, you can head over and listen to that at bucketlistboardgamers.com. You will have seen quite a few posts on our Facebook page from UKG because uh, I'll be putting some updates on there, even though it's not technically video game related. There'll be a few bits going up on there, but also over on, on the uh, board games page. We are very close knit. And if you like one, potentially like the other, if you've if you've got an interest in board games, so go and give it a go. So with that little plug out of the way, I'll do the other little plug, which is thank you to our supporters. So... We have got from the Couple of Coins tier this week, again, Mr. Bailey. So thank you. And we have also got two people in the Bucket Kicker tier. That's the Sweaty Llama and Dino Dini. So thank you to you once again for sponsoring the podcast. We've gone massively long this week, so this is going to take me an absolute age to edit, which I'm looking forward to. But I think... We will call it there. I don't know what we're doing for the next episode because it's going to be a couple of weeks for us before we get a chance to record the next one. But I'm sure we'll make it something good. It won't be Shenmue. That's as much of a spoiler as I can give you. Eddie's face has dropped again. Uh, But yeah, all that's left to say is goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. (laughs) 